Today's podcast is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years. A lot has changed, but one thing remains constant, including different types of durable income in portfolios can help investors meet their goals with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by Kaplan Schweizer. CFA program, very difficult. We both took it. The very first CFA exam I took, level one, I used just the CFA books, and that was a huge mistake because those CFA books are so dense and big, and they don't summarize anything, and it was I made it way harder than it had to be. So for the second level, I used Kaplan's books, and it saved me a ton of time because it took these huge two-inch thick CFA books, and it shrunk them down to about a quarter of an inch and summarized in bullet point. And then they also had, at the end of each chapter, a test that you could take that would help you understand it better. Here's a little tip for aspiring CFA chart holders. Don't master the material. Master the questions. And the best way to master the questions is to take a million of them. Actually, not only did I use the uh, the books, I used the, I took the online course. Did you? I don't know if they had an online course when I took it. Ooh, not to brag. I think I, pr- I probably did this in like 2000, I took the first one in 2000, uh, I wasn't even in the industry. I had no idea what I was doing. I passed level one. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm the only person, I got to be like on the short list of people that took CFA level two with zero industry experience. I, yeah, I, I took it. I think I finished the test in 2009. Did you finish, did you, did you, did you pass all, all the, all three in the first try? Level two, I failed once. I did level Same. one in December and level two in June. So that's my that's my excuse. Also, my brother's bachelor party is the weekend before, which I blame him for not No passing. excuses, play like a champion. What rule is that? Rule number 72? <laughs> so listen to the pass rates for the most recent one. Level one recent pass rate was 36%. Uh, oh no, so May 2023 was 39%. Level I'm sorry, two that's too low. What is, what is this, Harvard? Like, Level three is 48%. Well, that's why you have to get the study guides. So we have a link in our show notes uh, to check out these materials. I found them very helpful. I'm sure they still are today. Uh, So check out Kaplan Schweizer for more. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Uh, Quick housekeeping note. Is that the right way to leave the show off? Is this housekeeping? Where does that phrase come from? I don't know. Probably housekeeping, but anyhow, Red Holtz Wealth Management is going on the road. In the first week, first full week, I should say, of November, the date is we're going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, on November, starting Monday, November 6th. I will be flying there straight from Las Vegas going to see the Giants, which I don't even know if I should go to the game at this point. God, what a debacle. That's going to be a fun flight because you're going to lose a bunch of money and the Giants are going to lose and you're going to be hungover. That should be fun. <laughs> uh, 
Two of those three things are true. So we're going to be in in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have an office there with three incredible uh, financial planners. We're going to be there seeing uh, clients, prospective clients, financial advisors in the area. If you would like to learn about joining the team, we would love to talk to you. Uh, we've got a great venue picked out, but we're going to we're going to save something. We're we're going to tease it. We're not releasing the venue just yet. We're doing a live. And when I say the venue, what do I mean? We're doing a live the compound and friends. So it's Josh, myself, and we've got two very special guests. Again, not going to make the reveal just yet, but if you would like to learn more, reach out to us, askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. That's askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. And then the subject, throw whatever you want. Just kidding. Subject, Charlotte. Subject, mudroom. That works too. Okay. I want to talk about an unexplained phenomenon going on in the markets right now. This is from Jim Bianco. 30-year treasury yield rose to 4.85% today. All these yields are now the highest since 2007. He said the long bond yield is up 55 basis points in 13 days. TLT on a total return basis from the highs is now down 46%. I, th- I, I, think, we have to, I think we have to close the bond market until we can figure out what the hell is going on. Look at the yield curve I put in here. I just finished this this morning. This is from the end of June until now. So you can see the short-term rates haven't budged at all. Three month, one year. Two years up a little bit, five years up a lot, 10 years up a lot, 10 years up almost 1% since the end of June. The 30-year treasury is up 1% since the end of June in three months. There has been nothing that has changed. The Fed is saying the same stuff. Economic data is about what it has been. The Fed hasn't really changed their estimates all that much. I've, I've heard a lot of very smart people say, I have no idea what's going on here. Like, for, for months and months and months during this inflationary episode, we asked, why, why aren't bond yields rising? Inflation was way, way higher than bond yields. You had this big alligator. Remember the alligator tooth chart of inflation being way higher than rates? <laughs> I've never heard it called alligator tooth. It's, I've heard it referred to only as jaws. Jaws? I like okay. it. Tooth. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. <laughs> so now we have this. It's, it's gone the other way. And now rates are higher than inflation. And I mean, the only explanation we can get is that it would have to be economic growth is going to be higher or inflation is going to stay higher for longer or the Fed's going to keep rates higher. For, what is it? I don't <laughs> I have, ha- I don't, I got, I have nothing on this. I have no idea. Position, positioning? <laughs> I mean, it feels like what's, what's, the, what's the higher probability here? If you had to put probabilities on it and don't say 40%, this is a blow off top in yield. I, I, I will I am, listen you, sir, you Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids hedge. I do not. Okay, so Go ahead, what's the question? Higher probability. This is like a blow-off top in yields from positioning and people finally saying, all right, you know what? My TLT is down 50%. Get me out of here. I'm selling. Or the Fed screwed it up. Or this is a new trend and rates are going to be higher for longer. Both? How's that for a Grand Rapids hedge? Could we, could, well, that's a Long Island hedge. Wait, could both things be true? Could we, ex- could we have just experienced a blow-off top in yields, but also yields are going to stay higher? Yeah, I just... By the way, I, tr- I tried. I tried to catch the top. I bought. Uh, I bought the triple levered thirty-year long bond. Jeez. Yeah. How Damn much right. is that down now? Uh, no, no, no. I closed it. I mean, credit to okay. me. I, I know how these things work. I closed it out in like three days. I didn't. I was in and out. Was not planning to stay around. So here's here's why I want to look at the bad side of this thing because remember, inverted yield curves are bad because they signal lower economic growth. But a steepening of the yield curve is also bad because it means potentially high inflation, right? So everything is always bad. Just remember that. You know, I, I don't like when you do this. I think 
you poke the, you poke the bears too often. Those things are not those things are not mutually exclusive. Both of those things can be true. An inverted yield curve is is not indicative of a healthy functioning economy. Number one, number two, the thirty year going vertical is also not healthy. What? Please tell me what 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 part of this is not bad. I'd love to hear it. The fact that investors can now lock in almost five percent on their government treasuries for 30 years, or the fact that you can now get 2.5% real rates on tips. This is an amazing deal for fixed income investors. If you're a pension fund, an insurance fund, a retiree, you're being gifted way higher yields right now. That, how is that not a good thing? Well, I'm, not saying, I'm, not saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's all bad, but I didn't know we were focused on, on pension fund investors right now. Is that, is that who, who the audience is for the show? It's pension fund investors? If you're an, if you're an investor and you can look beyond the fact that rates may rise a little further in the short term, like this, you're- If you could look beyond the fact that, that the economy might absolutely break, yeah, this is all great. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. Okay, well, here's the thing, because the economy might break because yields were too low, but now they're gonna break because they're too high. So which one is it? Who's, say, who, who's saying the economy's gonna break because yields, yields are too low? I don't know, you're trying to-, you're trying to Everyone for like, years said like, that. I don't like the spin zone. No, for for years, people. This I'm, is listen, you're you're being complacent again. You're in no position to poke the bears right now. I'm not being complacent. I'm just saying everything is always bad. I'm I'm saying there's good and bad, and no one ever looks at the bright side of things. You know the scene in Seven, where Morgan Freeman says uh, he's got the upper hand, and he's like running back to Brad Pitt. Yes, that's me with the bears, and and you're Brad Pitt with the box. Okay, here's here's an interesting part of this. So Robert, someone shared this last week, and this is an old piece from Robert Schiller, and he said. And, and I think my whole take here is the bond market is way dumber than people think. I've been saying this for like the last two years and people always say, no, the bond market is a smart money. So Robert Schiller said, one might think long-term rates tend to be high when there is evidence that there will be higher inflation over the life of a bond to compensate investors for the expected decline in the dollar's purchasing power. Going back to 1913, when the CPI, that's when CPI started, 1913, we find that there's almost no correlation between long-term rates and the 10-year inflation rates over succeeding decades. While positive, the correlation between one decade's total inflation and the next day, decade's total inflation is 2%. This is the, the coup de grace in your terms. But bond markets act as if they think inflation can be extrapolated. Long-term rates tend to be high when last decade's inflation was high. U.S. long-term bond yields, such as 10-year treasury yield, are positively correlated with previous 10 years inflation rate, but the correlation between treasury yield and the inflation over the next 10 years is 28%. So what if it's just the bond market is, it has recency bias? And it's extrapolating what's just happened for the past 18 to 24 months. And it's going, eh, yeah, I guess inflation is here to stay. And the bond market is wrong. Yeah, that could totally be. That could totally be. But with mortgage rates pushing up like towards 8% and every all major purchases becoming like completely unaffordable, I don't think that this is great. But that that's but you're arguing against yourself because you then rates can't be higher for longer. If if this is going to break the economy, then rates can't stay higher for longer because they're breaking the economy. Great, wonderful. So the economy is going to break, but pension fund investors locked in long rates. This is wonderful. You're right. I'm just saying this. This is why I think the Fed is pushing too hard here because if they keep pushing and and they let rates go crazy and get away from themselves, when we have eight percent mortgage rates, I think the Fed is to blame for this, and we could have had a soft landing, and they're going to ruin it. They're ruining our soft landing. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't like seeing interest rates uh, behave the way that they're behaving. Again, back to the point from a couple of weeks ago that Americans love borrowing money. I think sentiment is going to get worse and worse from here with seeing rates so high and seeing 10% auto loans and 8% mortgage rates. And that this is, it's not great for consumer sentiment. Even though people have been spending through it, this is not a good thing. 
I wanted to look at the higher for longer thing, like if, if that is a thing. So I looked at starting inflation rates and starting interest rates on the stock market since 1926 and the forward 1, 5, 10, and 20-year returns. So you see how we broke these down here? All right, starting inflation. Yep, go ahead. The interesting thing is the returns are tend to be best when starting interest rates are really low or really high. So 0 to 2% or 8% or higher. And But when they're in the middle, like where they are now, 4 to 6%, that's the worst starting spot, which is kind of interesting because that's the average, right? The long-term average 10-year yield going back to 1926 is like 4%, call it. But when rates are really high, returns have been awesome. When rates are really low, forward returns have been awesome. And I think that's probably because those are the times when you have just had a crisis or you're in a crisis. Also, the only time rates have been high were the 70s, and then you had the 80s and 90s afterwards. But look at the same thing with inflation. Would you think that starting inflation at 8% or higher would lead to the best returns over 20 years? Look at that. Obviously. Yeah, but this is, this is just 1980 to 2000. Yeah, so there's some caveats here, but the funny thing is- Some the caveats. Thing, the same thing with inflation though, starting inflation in like the two to 6% range is actually your worst spot. And I guess maybe that's because it happens most often. Like that, it, these other ones are kind of outliers, but I just thought this was interesting that like the, the quote unquote normal market for rates and inflation is actually your worst starting point. That is interesting. Meanwhile, the S&P is still up 13% year to date, which is kind of hilarious, even after the pullback. Doesn't feel like it. The Nasdaq's still up 35%. Nasdaq 100 is still up 35%. Even though I'm, I'm worried by these long-term rates uh, acting like GameStop circa 2021, I'm bullish for the rest of the year. There, I said it. So another like unexplained phenomenon, and we've I've talked about this ad nauseum, but long-term rates are up 55 basis points in 13 days, and the NASDAQ 100 is up 36% this year. Please explain this to me when the only thing that matters for tech stocks is low rates. No, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. However, however, I, I had Nick Majuli create a chart yesterday that is a wonderful chart. Let me throw this in the doc so the viewers can enjoy it. We're looking, I had Nick make a chart of... The S&P 500, I'm sorry, the Russell 1000, broken down by decile from the time the Fed started raising rates to today. And I had them use price to sales and forward PE, and they tell the same story, which is that the stocks that were highly valued compared to the rest of the market have gotten destroyed compared to cheaper stocks. So look at this, look at this chart that I just put in there. So again, it's a Russell 1000 broken down by decile. So each there's 10 different buckets of 100 stocks. And the median return for the most expensive bucket is like negative 17 or 18%. And then the median return for the cheapest bucket as of, so looking back when at valuations in March 2022 to today, the cheapest bucket in March 22 is actually, the median stock is actually up. So even though a lot of tech stocks have recovered this year, they got smashed so bad last year, they're still- Yeah, also like this- this uh, label that we're putting on these giant tech stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Google, there's so much more than just tech. Yes. Right? Yes. And the ones that got killed the most were these, they were much more highly speculative than the big Magnificent Seven or whatever we're calling it now. Yeah. So, so to conclude, I don't think that high rates are all bad, as you mentioned, for certain segments of the population, it's very good. But for people that need to borrow money, which is basically all of us, and some more than others, it's it's pretty brutal. So I put out, I'm skipping ahead here a little bit, but I put out a, a thing last week saying mortgage rates are almost at 8%. I, I like 
I, you are so unlucky and it feels so unfair if you're a first time home buyer right now. Cause it, it does houses went up 50% and I could listen. The Twitter mob is not real life, but it, I, I do think that there's some sentiment you can gauge from them. I can't believe the number of people in my mentions who said, sorry, life is unfair. My first mortgage was 8% or 12% or six. <laughs> Come listen, on, don't be a jerk. Exactly. My thing is like, it's okay to admit that you, you lucked out with timing, right? Because my first mortgage was six and a half percent and I didn't bat an eye because it didn't matter back then because prices were so much lower. It's, it's yes. If prices were still $80,000 like they were in 1980 and mortgage rates were so much higher then that's, it's a little easier to stomach. That's the, but I couldn't believe the amount of people saying my, my rate was high when I did it. So these people should be, they should be just fine. Come on. It's yes. I'm just saying it's okay every once in a while. I think people who have time something right, not of their own accord and just got lucky, have a hard time admitting that they were lucky. You and I have both said the timing of us buying our houses had more to do with family and having kids and than anything. Like if, if we would have just been born seven years later or whatever, however long, 10 years later, we could have been, we would have been in the same position. We would, in, we'd be so mad. Remember those? Listen, we it all those, evens out. Some people have, listen, I'm bald. <laughs> and, and I graduated college right into the teeth of the great financial crisis. So I'll take my low mortgage rates. And the thing is, yes, everyone has had challenges in their time, but I think you can still have some empathy for young people. Remember we were at future proof sipping on uh, Miami vices in the hot tub. And we were talking to a couple of young gentlemen from Toronto and they were like, listen, we live an hour away from Toronto and it's even being an hour away. The, the median home price in our city is like 800 grand. They're like, and these guys were, I don't know, mid twenties, maybe they're like, we can't afford to buy a house at those prices. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and I think it's okay to say like, I feel for people in that situation. Of course. Uh, so here's a tweet. Um, Paul Krugman tweeted still no recession, but core PCE down to 2.2% on a three month basis. Team long-term transitory for the win. <laughs> <laughs> long-term transitory is a, uh, that's, I don't know if he was trying to be funny. I, 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 I don't know, but, uh, that, that is hilarious, but it is weird. Like wait, rates are going vertical. Is inflationary data not going in the right direction? It is going in the right direction. Alligator That's tooth. The- <laughs> no, this is, this is the Meg, Meg tooth, Meg teeth. By the way, I saw the Meg two over the weekend. I'll talk about okay. it later. How, wait, how, how bad is it? Cause my son wants to watch it so bad. Like, okay. All right, fine. Is he going to get nightmares from it? No, no, no. Well, I don't know. He's, he's a young boy. So the Meg one was like, Bad, but enjoyable. I mean, relatively enjoyable. It was entertaining, I guess. Right? Obviously, not a good movie. The Meg 2 was none of those things. It was bad and not entertaining. Uh, Sounds about right. But you know what's you know what's kind of lousy? Most it sequels did, are not entertaining. It did. Yeah, we saw the shark. Like We get it. It did $400 million worldwide. 82 domestic, 311. So I guess foreigners love giant sharks. I mean, yeah. who doesn't My son love a is a big shark? Megalodon fan. So that's, who, that's who doesn't love the us. Megalodon? But but now there is there's going to be a Meg 3? Probably. Did 400, did 400 million dollars. It will definitely be a Meg 3. How about this? I'm out. I, I hope so. I will not uh, see the Meg 3. All right. So you accuse me of being too... Oh, wait. This is great. A research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. It's so <laughs> dumb. It was so, so dumb. Uh, I mean, right in your wheelhouse, though. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is from Bloomberg Economists. They were the ones who last year said there's a 100% chance of a recession. They say, here's the headline, why a recession is still likely and coming soon. Here's our six things. 
there's always a soft landing call before a recession, which is kind of true. Like, if you want to yeah. be monetary policy acts on a lag. True. Uh, the Ember economic measures that they have, like those six measures that Ember looks at for saying it's a recession. Those are always slowing. Mm-hmm. They also say strikes, student loan payments coming back on, oil prices higher for longer rates, five excess savings are gone. Put a pin in that one, as I say in the podcast world. And six credit is getting tighter at bank. So looking at all that, like it, it sure does seem like we should have a slowdown. I hate being pessimistic, but listen, I'm a realist. I, you, you play the field as it lies, as uh, Shooter McGavin said. Okay, I, I, w- I would like to say. I want to go on record as saying I still think that the consumer is in such good position that I think we can, if we have a slowdown, we can weather it. So Bloomberg had this piece on excess savings being depleted for the bottom 80% of homes. For the bottom 80% of households by income, bank deposits and other liquid assets were lower in June than they were in March 2020 after adjustment for inflation. So, so my problem is this is excess savings over and above the trend of savings that was already in place. Now, the FT had a piece this morning basically saying, a lot of assumptions are baked into excess savings. And if you made an assumption here or there and pulled another lever, maybe there was less excess savings before and more now. Or, or anyway, it, it's harder. To, but the, the point is, it's excess savings that are gone. So here's the thing. We didn't need excess savings <laughs> in the excess. 2010s. Yeah. Right? Like, so and I, the other it's thing excess, is- It's like, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you, do you really think people are going to get rid of their excess savings and then go, okay, I'm done. That's it. I'm out. Like walking away from a blackjack hand. Like, all right. I, I'll see you later. Like no one, no one leaves. You go back to the ATM and you get more money and you play more blackjack, right? At 27% interest rates. So here's, here's where I think consumers are still kind of ready. All right. And maybe, so look at the money market ones we've talked about. Almost $6 trillion in money markets. That's basically doubled in the last two or three years. Money market funds. Look at Household checkable deposits and currency, that number is still way higher. That people have money in the bank. Uh, home equity, $31, $32 trillion, right? That's more than doubled since before the pandemic. The net worth is up 33% since before the pandemic. And we, I updated this chart about the growth in net worth by percentiles, bottom 50% through the second quarter is now up 74% in net worth. All households are up 33%. Here's another one. U.S. CPI. No one ever talks about this with inflation. Guess what? Wages are up too. See my CPI versus average hourly earnings? I do. It's basic. Earnings have tracked inflation. Now, that hasn't for everyone, obviously. But on aggregate, earnings have tracked inflation. So it's not like you can say, well, sure, net worth is up, but so are prices. Wages are up too. That's part of it. Okay? So I, I still think if there is a slowdown and consumers are 70% of the economy, I think people still have a decent margin of safety built in if they want to tap some other parts of their budget and and keep spending. And I I really don't think people are going to stop spending. Did you read this Wall Street Journal article? Not yet. Okay, Americans are still spending like there's no tomorrow. And you, what is my favorite thing about the Wall Street Journal? When they quote random people. Yes. All right. So they said Americans spent 5.8 percent more in August than a year earlier, while outstripping 4 percent inflation. Uh, Delta Airlines record revenue. Ticketmaster sold over 295 million event tickets in the first six months, up 18% year over year. People are still spending. So they asked this guy, uh, let's see. Uh, he says he, if he was were to buy at current rates, he'd be spending $5,000 a month for his mortgage. Instead, he's renting for $3,000. And instead of saving for a down payment, he's going crazy. He went on Taylor Swift era's tour. He went to a $3,500 bachelor party in Ibiza. He said, I might as well enjoy it now. 
Here's another one. Lindsay and Daryl Bradshaw went into credit card debt to finance a vacation to Maui this past spring. We did not have the money, and we were like, let's just do it anyway. So they credit card debt going to Maui. Not a big fan of that. Uh, this I think this is actually a good one. Uh, rather than funnel all their spare change into a house or retirement account, Candace and Jasmine started a bucket list fund after attending back-to-back funerals for a few, a few months ago. The couple added a few hundred bucks on their paycheck each month into the fund, which they have used to try fancy restaurant tasting menus and buy a dream designer handbag. So instead of waiting to have fun while they retire, they are trying to do the opposite and have fun now. As long as they're saving something for retirement, I'm actually, I'm actually okay with this last one. The fact that they're like budgeting a fun, guilt-free spending thing. But obviously these are the usual Wall Street Journal people telling on themselves. But I, I, I think this is going to happen to a lot of people. And eventually people will run out. But I, I think all that's going to happen is People are going to take out home equity lines of credit, and people are going to spend credit card debt. And I think, I think, like the excess savings is not just going to go back to zero and stop. I think people are just going to go deeper into debt to finance their spending. You can't turn that spigot off unless people start losing their jobs. Of course, you can. How? You you don't you don't think people like this are going to be like, no, we're not putting Maui on a credit card if we're in a recession? What are you out of your mind? No, that's what I'm saying. It's going to take a recession to stop this, and it will. It but absolutely I, but I think, will. But I think, I think honestly, like if we go into recession, the first few months are going to be people not believing it and still spending like they're spending their faces off. Part of me agrees with you that people were, you know, we, we said this a lot in 2022. I'm basing this beyond nothing besides human nature and like telling people, nope, you have to stop spending after I just been spending for two or three years. Like you're nuts. I'm still spending. No. You, you think people are going to Taylor Swift concerts if, if unemployment goes up to 5%? People are spending whatever they were spending previously. No, obviously that not that group. But I, I'm just saying, I think the consumer is in a, still a pretty good place to like have. They a are. Backstop. They are. They are. But in a recession, people's behavior changes on a dime. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. That, I don't think it's that gradual. If you lose your job, your spending changes overnight. Sure, but a lot of it depends on what is the response to the next recession, because that that didn't happen in the COVID recession. That was a maybe an outlier one off, but I think a lot of what happens during the next recession is going to be dependent on how, what the government's response is. Are we getting a recession right. in 2024? Yes. It's a much higher likelihood than 2023. The funny thing is, remember, we, we, it was going, felt like going out on a limb in January and saying no recession in 2023. It did. Credit to us. 2024 has a way higher probability. I mean, you're right. 8% mortgage rates. I still can't believe that there hasn't been more things broken in the economy or even in the fund world, like leveraged up treasuries or something that hasn't gotten blown up from TLT being down 50% or whatever. I, I'm really surprised there hasn't been more things that have broken yet. Aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I am. I can't believe more. And maybe it's, it's just a just wait for it. But I don't think this is even a lag thing because the borrowing rates are getting worse. It's not like Rates just stayed where they were, and then we'll see what happens. Rates are, you're right, rates are getting worse. And yes, I'd say higher higher than 50% chance of a recession in the next 18 months. And I would have said way lower in 2023. You know what is breaking? Utilities, of which, uh, unfortunately, I'm an owner of. There, I said it. I own utilities. Uh, how much am I down? So you've, you've really been going for the rate reversal short-term play here. No, I, I bought this a couple of weeks ago. I'm down 13% on my, uh, my purchase. 
It is just straight up liquidation. Feels like panic selling. Well, doesn't this make sense though? Because oh, to, to, of course it does. It absolutely makes sense. If, if so, the, utilities if, are down twenty percent from the highs this year. Josh and I are going to go deep on this. On on what are your thoughts uh, tonight? So, when you expect dividend stocks and utilities and preferred stocks and convertibles, all these they are all these they fixed are. income alternatives of the past few years. People have been piling into. Dude, they, they are have P- to be getting crushed. PFF is. Uh, I don't want to say crashing is a bit too too strong of a word, but PFF is getting hammered, hammered. XLP. Yeah, PFF is only down eight percent though. That's not that bad. I would have expected it worse. <laughs> oh, you you noob. What you newbie noob whale? What do you mean it's only down eight percent? Look at it the last three days or the last two days. It's just going straight down. Okay. Oh, okay. It's, there it's, it is. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Uh, let's talk about speaking of uh, active investment decisions. Last week we spoke about. I was trying to defend active mutual funds with through the lens of, well, actually, if investors are have confident, if investors are confident in their assertions that they're selecting the right managers, then maybe they're more likely to to stick with them. And actually, I wasn't that far off. So Jeffrey Patak shared us the average annual return for various categories um, over the last decade. And he compared them with investor returns. And often there's there's a gap, obviously, as we know. Uh, so the gap between passive returns and investor returns is negative 1.43% a year. So over the last decade, and I don't know if this is the Russell 1000 or S&P 500, it doesn't really matter. But uh, that did 12.1% a year. The average investor in those funds did 107 Now, a lot of this is also timing of money coming in and out. Which could be no that that could just be dollar cost averaging, for example, doesn't necessarily yeah, have to problem. doesn't yeah. have to mean bad behavior. So these things are really sort of complicated to to unpack. So forget about the passive, but the fact is that the average investor in US active equity funds did eleven point two percent versus eleven point five percent for the category. It's pretty damn good. I have to assume timing is the really big because if Money has been coming out of active funds going into passive. I'm guessing that explains this difference because it, it does look like the behavior gap is bigger in passive, and that makes zero sense to me. Well, Je- Jeffrey did say that that was that was sort of driving the wedge in the in the behavior of passive. But forget about that for a sec. The performance of the average investor in active funds relative to what they could have gotten if they just stayed put is effectively zero. Right? They basically earned every return that the managers earned. So credit to them. Kudos that is to them. Interesting. Yeah. All right, this is also Wait, interesting. back to your yeah. confidence, uh, confident in your assertions thing. I, I can say, like, I, I look for the positive side of most things. I have zero idea what's going to happen going forward from here. Like, all the stuff coming together, the fiscal stuff running off, the excess savings stuff running off, and consumer balance sheets and all this stuff, I would not be pounding the table on anything right now in no. terms of, like, this is what's going to happen next. I have zero clue where we... And anyone who says they have an idea, like... How many people predicted what would happen now? No, no one. Literally, no one. Also, what about the regional bank failures? What is what do these interest rates do to their balance sheets? I, that's the thing. We've it's like that was like a three day crisis, and it felt bad at the time. Then we moved on, and then it's like okay, I guess everything's fine now. But yeah, you're is right. It? It, sh- I don't. That's a good question. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be shocked if over the next week, if if things continue to get gnarly, that somebody says something to try and calm shit down. I don't know if that's going to go well or if that would. Here's happen, my other but. question, though. Like. Who owns all the mortgage bonds that were that were put out there for three percent and another eight? Michael Burry. Who who owns those? Like so, someone's getting crushed yeah. on these mortgage bonds, and I guess you say, well, they hold them to maturity and they'll be fine. But and maybe oh, yeah? that's the point. 
I mean, maybe I mean, yeah, that's the point is like there's no mark to market God. losses, but right. The, how many 3% mortgages were, were put out there from refinancing people buying and then now rates are seven and a half percent. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm definitely not trying to sound hysterical, but uh, you know, this is this is worrisome stuff. I think so. The thing is, the Fed has probably wanted rates to go higher for a while. There's no way that they wanted them to go this high this fast, especially when it seems like they've got inflation under control a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh credit to Ackman. He came out a couple of probably a month ago or so. Talking about buying the 30 year on this breakout, and everybody, you know, a lot of people were were dunking. Credit to him. Great trade. Freaking nailed it. Uh, all right. Um, first weekly outflow for US fixed income in 39 weeks. And this is kind of interesting. People find uh, people finally saying, you know what? This hurts. Don't like it. Which is kind of funny now that rates are so high. But it, yeah, if you're looking at the past performance of bonds, you've gotten crushed. All right, so getting back to inflation going the right way, this alligator tooth. Uh, the inf- I, you know why I thought it was funny that you said tooth? Because, I mean, if anything, it's it's teeth, right? It's definitely plural. There's many. But uh, yes, let's, let's, let's stick with the tooth. I like that. Uh, Jason Furman tweeted, the inflation data from PCE, which is what the Fed focuses on, were much better for August than the CPI data. We now have three unambiguously good months in a row for core PCE. Annual rates at one month is 1.8%. For three months, it's 2.2%. For six months, it's 3%. This is good. Like this, this, is, this, this, this is good. This is why the bond stuff is so interesting to me, though. Forever, it's like, why aren't bond yields budging at all? The longer term, inflation is so high. And now inflation actually is coming down to trend and bond yields are taking off. It'll, I don't know. I, I, I honestly still can't explain it. All right, this is an interesting one. Uh, Jeremy Herpadal, which I think we've mentioned two weeks in a row, so I had to follow this guy. If I, if I mention your tweets twice, I got to follow you. Uh, someone I'll do said, the same. I don't know. What does this person tweet about? Uh, it's all, he is total an economic myth buster, buster kind of guy. So someone said, okay. uh, look at how much stuff is up over the last year and all the numbers were wrong. And he said, no, here's the actual changes through August 2023 for all the, and some of the stuff is actually falling. Gas is down 3%. Airline tickets are down 13%. Used cars are down 7%. Suits are down 5%. Bacon down 6%. Orange juice down 4%. Milk down 4%. Eggs are down 18%. Some stuff is up still too. Uh, Dry cleaning is up 6%. Baby food is up 8%. But like, some stuff is actually reversing inflation-wise. Like, not just going up at a slower rate. It's actually going down. Good to see, I guess. Great to see. Um, okay. My puts on Michael Lewis are up 10x in the last three weeks. If I call, For calling the Michael Lewis bear market... I read a few of the reviews. Here's one thing I can say for sure. I'll probably read the book. I'm not going to see the movie for sure. Definitely not going to see the Sam Bankman Freed movie. I think that guy's a psychopath. He is a modern day Charles Ponzi. I'm not giving that guy my time of day. Did you watch any of the 60 Minutes interview? Yes. Thoughts? I'm a big Michael Lewis fan, as I think a lot of people are. Um... I want to defend him a little bit only to, so all of the clips that people saw, I understand the outrage. I think it came off as bad as it possibly could have. That being said, he could have spent 10 hours with that crew, right? Like, and I'm not saying that it was taken out of context and therefore it's forgiven, but he could have spent legitimately 10 hours with them or more. Who the hell knows? 
Like in other words, I don't think that was not a, if if there, if that if that was not an edited interview. Holy, 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 holy moly! But I, I don't know. I, re- I read a couple I of highly, reviews of the I book this morning, and the reviews of the book kind of make it out to seem like he got duped. And here's my take: I, I'm a huge Michael Lewis fan as well. I think what's what's happening to Michael Lewis is what happened to comedians become too famous. This is my theory. When is the, what's the last funny thing Will Ferrell or Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey has done? Like those were three of the funniest people of the last. 30 or 40 years probably. Mm-hmm. And then they become so famous and then they stop doing really funny stuff, right? They can transition a little bit but they, or they go to family movies or serious stuff, but they, they can't do the funny stuff anymore. Michael Lewis got so big with the blind side and the big short because I, I thought the wheels started coming off a little bit with Flash Boys. Yeah, Flash uh, I don't like Flash Boys. But the, some of the stuff he was saying about uh, Sam Bankman Free, I think he, he got roped into this guy and wanted there to be a narrative and a story that just wasn't there. I think he wanted it so badly that he became a little blinded to it. And I think he's going to regret writing this book. I mean, the quote that there is still a Sam Bankman freed shaped hole in the world that now needs filling. It's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. I mean, and he's saying there actually was a business there. It was a run on the bank. Like, no, this was fraud. This is out and out fraud. It was taking the, these two firms and he was trading client money in his own personal hedge fund and losing it or uh, I don't know I just I don't think he's gonna whatever they're the book's probably gonna make a ton of money they're gonna make a movie about this yeah and he's gonna be fine either way but I I think reputationally he's not he's gonna regret writing this book I think so yeah again I I fully understand why people are up in arms I really do I I just I hope that it was heavily edited because if, if whatever, not, it's not good. It's not good. Um, all right. Let's talk about, let's talk about real estate. The 30 year is 7.6%. Will it hit eight? I don't know. Why not? <laughs> uh, yeah. 7.6 as of, I think it got 7.8 last. So Jeff Tucker put outstanding mortgage debt by interest rate. And he's showing that it peaked the, the 4% or less peaked at eh, 77% call it in 2022. And now it's going down in the four to 5%, five to 6% and 6% or more is starting to move up and take more. So it's it's like slowly chipping away as people. That's the thing. I know it seems like quote unquote, no one is buying a house right now, but I think there's still what 400,000 houses selling every month. It's lower than it was in the past, but there's still turnover happening. There'll be- No, there's not. There's, there's, there's no turnover happening. U.S. pending home sales has now fallen 44% from its peak. But if you look at existing home sales, th- there's nothing happening. All of the difference, so there was an article, Zillow did an article. This is just wild. Total residential housing market value by Metro. So it's $52 trillion. The the, the home real estate is at a record high. Right. They said uh, the total value of U.S. housing market is 49% higher than before the pandemic. The total value of the U.S. housing market surged by more than $2.6 trillion over the past year. And here's where it's coming from. While a small chunk of this growth can be attributed to a 1.3% rise in the average value of a U.S. home over the past year, the powerhouse behind this surge has been new construction. Builders have chipped away at the housing deficit as a steady as a steady flow of new homes have hit the market this spring and summer. Kind of interesting, right? It's like when a market, if the, it's like it's like if a market cap gets bigger by just issuing more shares. Without, I will the, say, without the price going down. Anecdotally, there's not a ton of like land around where I live in the suburbs of Grand Rapids, but they're they're squeezing in new houses anywhere they can, like taking down woods and and taking 
tearing down a farm. Like they're squeezing in new residential places anywhere they can. This is kind of hilarious. Sky high interest rates brought housing supply to the market finally. New houses. Yeah, it is. They're kind of the only game. But there are existing homes being sold though. Yeah, not really. It's 30% new homes, but it's still, Mike Simonson said there was 340 single family homes in contract pending stage around the country as of last week, which is again, way lower, but there's, there's still some turnover happening. Goldman Sachs, uh, Lance Lambert tweeted this, Goldman Sachs reaffirms its U.S. home price outlook. They expect house prices to rise 1.8% in 2023 and 3.5% in 2024. Last week we were talking about, like, we had, there was a quote from the Fortune article, I guess an economist was saying how, like, if there is any relief in interest rate market, in interest rates, watch out, right? Activity is going to just go vertical. One thing that we didn't, we didn't take this a step further. Josh did. He slacked us. Uh, I'm with you guys, and I will take it a step further. Not only would home price home prices dropping 20% not lead to a financial crisis, I actually think it would serve as an economic stimulus. Nothing creates more activity in local markets like a house turn a house turning over. A drop of 20% nationally, which is very unlikely, would lead to massive turnover. Gen Y families starting households in the tens of millions would create a boom in shopping, renovation, et cetera. They'd be ripping out a million miles worth of boomer carpeting. And that, that was a very good take. That is the the funny thing about like the, what do, you, what do you call it? Like the decision tree. Like if you go this way, you go this way. Like all the different paths right now. Well, if rates fail, but why are rates falling? Is it because of a recession? Or it's like all these paths you could take for what's going to happen in the economy and these things. Like I could, I could totally see uh, a boom in demand and activity from falling house prices. But I don't know what what causes those rates to fall, though. I don't I know. That, that, that's like that's what you have to square it with. So you know, it's you know, it's uh, just going. I want to say what's the opposite of going vertical, but I don't want to use a crashing word because that's really not. It's really hyperbolic. So let's okay. just say that these these prices are dropping like a like a lead rock, like a lead rock, like a rock, like a stone, like <laughs> lead a rock. balloon, lead balloon. Remember the like a rock commercial? Was that Chevy? Yeah, Bob Seger. Great commercial. All right, so here's what's dropping like a rock. Uh, XHB. Uh, Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, Oh, my God, these look so bad. Uh, Regional banks. Like the things that are tied to uh, utilities, as I mentioned. The things that are tied to interest rates. So a lot of these things that we're we're doing well are now finally getting hit. Uh, hit is an is a understatement, but yes, they are. So here's the here's why like the recession part of the thing matters. So uh, someone sent this to me a look at home prices, and, and I I said if you would have given me truth serum and said rates are going from three percent to seven and a half percent, and home prices just rose fifty percent, I would have said I don't care what historical data you showed me, home prices are coming down ten percent or so. That would have been like if you would have at gunpoint, I would have guessed that's what would happen. It hasn't, and I know all the reasons because we've been talking about them forever. Uh, but this uh, collateral analytics looked at like the the thing that matters most to housing is not interest rates, it's not the economy, it's employment. So over a twenty year period, they find that like there's other factors that drive it, but mostly if people have jobs, housing is going to do fine. And I think that's the one thing, and maybe that's why people were so surprised that the labor market was so strong. And if you want the biggest reason why housing prices have stayed strong and not fallen off a cliff, it's because people still have jobs and they still have money to spend. Yeah, so what happens if, if jobs start going away a little bit? I guess it depends how many jobs go away and how how bad a economic slowdown would be. That That's the, I don't know, if unemployment rate increases 1%, is that really going to impact the housing market? I just feel like you're not ready to see the Dow at 14,000. 
<laughs> Here's the thing, though. Counterintuitively, could we see like a correction if we get a recession, but then rates fall and the Fed steps in and the, of course. the markets of course. take off? Of course. Like, of course. And people would be so mad. If, but that's... All right. Uh, one more thing on our UK and Canada housing prices we talked about last week. A lot of Canadians wrote in and said, I see what you're saying. It is wicked unaffordable up here, but we have, we're letting in so many immigrants to the country and we didn't build enough houses just like the U.S. that immigration is the thing that's keeping housing prices up and housing prices in Canada are not going to fall. Thoughts? They, I, their immigration policies are much less strict than here. They're letting I people have, in. I don't know anything about, I, I have no thoughts. I won't even pretend to okay. muster a thought. I, I heard that from half a dozen people in Canada. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to them. But I, I, it, it, I could see that, I guess. The question is, what is going to cause companies to start laying off employees? I mean, it all comes back to consumer spending, right? If people are still spending and still buying, I mean, this is very circular logic, but I don't know. It's hard. Um, all right. Let's talk about Disney for a second. Uh, Alex Morris, who has a wonderful Substack, wrote a post on Disney, which I still own. Uh, Disney Global Parks data. So attendance, he has attendance versus per capita guest spending. Attendance is is more or less flatline. I'm just going to assume that they're they have they have capacity. They have a certain capacity and they hit it right. Epcot has ten thousand people a day, whatever the number is. That that's it. So unless they're building more parks, it's hard to have more guests. I'm surprised that it's it's still. A little low. I guess there was still pandemic stuff going on, but it's still a little lower than it was pre-pandemic. A little bit. But anyhow, uh, global capita per guest spending is growing rapidly. So Disney hotels, just as an example, Disney hotels, it it was $234, uh, I guess, a night in 2010. And it just goes up a little bit every year. And then in 2022, it really went up and well, I know there's been a lot of pushback for it becoming sort of unaffordable, and Disney is committed to spending a lot of money on doing more, uh, more in well, parks. More that was parks. their strategy. They wanted people who were spending more to come to the parks, even if it was fewer people overall. Yeah, it's a premium. It's a premium service. All right, survey of, survey of the week from Coinbase. New survey of 2,000 American adults suggests 20% own crypto. Okay, I think that's high, but whatever. And the vast majority see an urgent need to update the financial system. Come on. The vast majority? <laughs> Can that be? I, don't, I mean, honestly, if you asked everyday citizens, they probably most of them would say yes. I, I actually, I don't agree with the 20% crypto thing. If you ask people, do we need a new financial system? I think most people would say yes. Yeah, you know what? Understanding- actually, I, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm thinking this through, I actually think you might be right. I think people would just, just because like, I don't like the way things are going, so I think we need to change it all without understanding like what that right. what that entails. Yeah, it could I think be. people would say yes. Could be. You think twenty percent of people own crypto? That sounds very no, high. no way. I, I think I feel like people have been making up this data for years. I feel like the number is all over the place, and it's never as high as they say it is. Again, I making it up. One in twenty. Does that sound reasonable? Five percent, sure. That's fair. What's the uh, crypto market cap these days? I don't know. Is it one and a half trillion? Uh, Callie Cox with a heck of a tweet. A little more than one trillion for global crypto market. Uh-huh. I think it was three at the t- at the peak. She has a chart showing the consumer debt to asset ratio for Americans under 40. And she tweeted, you, semicolon, millennials are going to crash this economy. 
They spent all their student loan money on Taylor Swift tickets. Me, semicolon. Nah, they're in the best position to pay off their debt in over a decade. I don't think people Data realize- doesn't lie. Numbers don't lie. I don't think don't people lie. realize how old millennials are getting, right? I'm approaching my mid-40s. I'm a millennial. Most millennials are like getting into their mid to late 30s, early 40s. A certain, like Gen Z, millennials are not the young people anymore. It's Gen Z are the young people. Not only are they not young, I have multiple doctor appointments in the next couple of weeks. My body is a, my body is entering a different phase. Yes, I have a doctor's appointment on Friday for an old man ailment. Yeah, it's, it's not a, great. But this millennials are, are getting older. They're this is the thing. They're not young people who live in their parents' basement anymore. All right, Ben, what's this? What's this? Okay, so I mentioned a couple weeks ago, last week maybe we had our first broken bone, and I forgot to mention, uh, I didn't realize cast technology has improved so much. I don't know if you had this with Kobe when he broke his leg, but Libby, her arm cast is waterproof. She can, they want her to go in the water and get it wet and go in the bath, and then she just has to wrap a towel around it. And whatever the cast technology is, and it helps with the smell, they they like they said like eh, try to keep it out of lakes maybe but if she wants to take a shower or bath every night and get the cast wet she can't huh that's why cast technology has improved it's pretty interesting I did not know this did did you see the Mark Zuckerberg Lex Friedman metaverse video yes pretty cool yeah they've 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 figured some stuff out they've come a long way since the since the cartoons with no legs I guess the metaverse is still going to be a thing for those who don't know what we're talking about Lex Friedman did a, did a thing with Mark Zuckerberg where they put on the goggles and it's not just like they're like zooming with each other like Ben and I are doing right now. It, it They're effectively face-to-face. It's remarkable. Old guy here. I, I still can't, I still can't see myself wanting to use that very much. I'd like for a phone call over anything these days, but I, I, uh, I, I, I hate see how, how it could be used. Hey, the thing, you prefer a Zoom to a phone call. I, pref- I, I I'm a much bigger phone call guy than Zoom. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, Ben. There's like a question, like, what did you, what did you change your mind on? What's a, what's one idea that you killed? And I always struggle to come up with an answer. Like, I don't know. I feel like I don't have like. I mean, I have I have opinions, but I don't know. I don't know. And then it occurred to me, the biggest thing that I've changed my mind on over the years, dark meat chicken. Growing up, growing up, I was strictly a, a white meat guy. I think that's because I was averse to maybe the aesthetic. Like I don't like, I don't eat bananas with bruises. I think like dark meat chicken just doesn't, it just, as a six-year-old, it just looks a little bit suspicious. Same thing with turkey, I assume? Same thing with turkey. For Thanksgiving, okay. But objectively, dark meat tastes better than white meat, at least objectively to my taste buds. Would you agree? I'm a dark meat guy, yes. Yeah. So you've changed your mind on this, okay? That's the biggest I thing that I've changed was my mind on. Okay, because I always thought white meat was way, it was dry and just never did it for me. It's dry. It's only good if you it's had a dry. bunch of salt on it. Uh, I saw, I was in uh, a parking lot. I'm glad you kept an open mind about chicken. Yes. Uh, I was in a parking lot the other day and I saw the long Wagoneer. And at first I... I wasn't sure. I thought it was like a special one. I thought it was like a limousine sized one. Like I, I didn't think it was a one that you could purchase because it looks so big that I genuinely thought it was like a one-off extra trans. I don't know what I thought, but then I saw another one and I'm like, holy shit, these really exist. The Wagoneer with the extra space. 
I wish I had a measuring tape. It looks like it's 26 feet long. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture right now. It does look really elongated. It's Actually, like a suburban just, yeah. Uh length. How how big is this thing? Let's say. And these are the people who take up two parking spots at the grocery store and the soccer games, and I can never get in and out because of them. So it's the Wagoneer L. It's $111,000 starting MSRP. Let's see. Dimensions. Length. Why are they giving it an inches? All right, I can do the math. It's 19 feet. <laughs> it's, like a, it's literally a boat. <laughs> it's too big. I think you could you could fit a mattress in the trunk. For 111,000, you better. Unbelievable. People are having people have fewer kids now and bigger houses and bigger cars. And we wonder why people complain about not having enough money. Wagoneers are going to cause a recession. That's that's what's going to do it, Ben. All right, I, I said saw, this like 2 years ago. I saw a movie I don't know, it was maybe it's like Friday night I was looking for something to do, board flipping. What service was it on? I can't remember. Probably Netflix. It's called The Foreigner. You ever hear of this movie? Netflix one, maybe? It's not a Netflix one, but it was on Netflix. It's with Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan. And Pierce Brosnan is an Irish sort of quasi-government employee. That sounds like a straight-to-DVD movie if I've ever heard of one. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Jackie Chan's daughter dies from a, from a bomb. And it's a revenge it's a revenge type of movie. Pretty, pretty yeah. basic, pretty basic stuff. But I mentioned this only to say that not that you should watch it. It was fine. But did you know that Pierce Brosnan is Irish in real life? Never, never thought about it. I guess I would have assumed British because he's James Bond. So he plays an Irishman, as I mentioned, but I Googled it. I was like, wait, is he, is he Irish? He sounds like a pretty damn good accent. He's actually Irish. I always assumed he was British from, you know. James Bond and okay. How Great Is Mrs. Doubtfire? Learn something new every day. I do like that movie. <laughs> what a movie. Uh, I wanted to see, I really want to see uh, The Creator, even though it got like sort of so-so reviews. Might see it this week. I also, it's been a while since I went to the theaters. You know what I might see? And I'm not, I'm not a fan of this particular type of horror. Creators and, has 7.2 on IMDb. That sounds pretty good. That's not bad. Yeah. Might see it tonight. Uh, Saw 10. Now, I don't, I'm not like a torture porn type of guy. 10 of these? Listen, I saw, I definitely saw one. I mean, obviously I saw one. Once, once I actually watched probably the first three of them. So the first Saw is legitimately incredible movie. It might even be a film. Uh, And then I probably saw, I don't really remember. Actually, I I remember two. I don't know if I remember three and I probably bailed after three. I probably saw the first three in the theater. Okay. So the the so Saw Ten was not on my radar. Have had no interest in seeing it, but until it got really good reviews, like this is not like the other nonsensical ones. Like I might say it, I might go to the theaters. This is this is why people are worried about AI taking over Hollywood, though. Why? Because they're just they're regurgitating the same stuff. You could yeah. put all the first nine Saw movies into a AI and say, make it like this but different. Write it for me. All right, I've been on an 80s movie kick lately. They had the big chill on the rewatchables last week. Yeah, I need to see that. I mentioned it probably two years ago that I finally saw it, and I really liked it, and I decided to watch it again after listening to it. And I think it's one of the most high-quality 80s movies there is because the 80s, there aren't that many high-quality movies in the 80s because they're all so... 80s. I mean, stand by... Yeah, they're so 80s. They're not very self-aware. They're 
cheesy, corny. That's part of the part of the reason I like a lot of them. But this what's is the best like movie? a very what's the best high movie? quality. What's the best movie from the eighties? Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't, in terms no, of that's the seventies. No, it was like eighty-one. That's eighties. Yeah. Um, Glenn Gary, I, Glenn this, Ross. This is one of them. Ugh, I, I hated that movie. Really? This is one of them. Yeah, I thought it was terrible. Great acting, terrible movie. It's I don't like watching plays that are turned into movies. It oh, The Shining. Okay, that could be it. But there's not that many high quality ones, right? And that this one is moving up my list of one of the more high quality ones that I've seen. I really liked it. I don't want you to see it. It's a coming of age. You don't like coming of age movies. What do you mean so you want me to? I, I want to see it. You're not going to like it. Okay, watch you're it. You're, you're, it's not right. your kind of movie. All right, so I have, I have a list of the best movies from the 80s. Empire Strikes Back, I would agree. Raging Bull, I'm sorry. Maybe I need, I, I don't, I, Raging Bull is tough. That's a film, not a movie. Uh, Blade Runner, Shining, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, that's, when Harry Met Sally is probably my favorite. Die Hard, Cinema Paradiso. Never heard of it. See, oh, Aliens. High... Aliens is my favorite movie from the 80s. I that's that was it. 70s. Okay, all right. Princess Bride. All right, some good movies here. Oh, hey, are you watching? Uh, are you watching Yellowstone? I feel like I haven't seen anybody talk about it. I'm out. No, I watched it. it, it, it Yellowstone didn't didn't the new season come out? No, they're replaying the old season on CBS. Oh, that's they, why I haven't seen anybody talk about it. Okay, they, never, so, they didn't hand finish. Up, sorry yet, about that. Kevin Costner walked off the set. I watched it. Yeah, it got bad. Wait, he walked off the set? Or no, he he left the show. He said he's done. Good for him. So it's, it turned finish. to shit. I agree. Yeah. So he he knows stuff. All right. Um. Glad to have Duncan back today producing. Welcome back, Duncan. Yep. All right. Well, well, uh, yeah, thank you, Duncan, for coming back and producing the show as always. Thank you for listening. Animalspiritspod at gmail.com. Also, listen to Talk Your Book on Monday. We talk about investing in the music industry. Very interesting podcast. See you next time.